Welcome to the HR Huddle Podcast, presented by Sapient Insights Group, the ultimate resource for all things HR. It's time to get in the huddle. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the HR Huddle Podcast. This is episode one of HR We Have a Problem, and I'm your host, Kim Seals. Today, part two of our conversation on the fallout at ESPN. If you haven't heard part one, check out that episode of Per My Last Email, where we tackle this topic from the DNI side of things. It's not every day you get to use words like bungle, but what happened at ESPN is a masterclass. In this episode, we'll dig into this train wreck from an HR perspective and hopefully leave you with some strategies you can use should you ever find yourself or your organization in a similar fiasco. Back to help us break down what seems to be a comedy of errors by ESPN's HR department, a very special guest and friend. He's the vice president of diversity and inclusion at Ball Corp, one of the most revered quarterbacks in University of Colorado history, as well as a sideline reporter and analyst for games at CU. Welcome back to the show, Charles C.J. Johnson. It's so good to be here, Kim. Looking forward to engaging the conversation. Also happy to have here with me one-fifth of the HR Huddle crew and the host of the podcast, Per My Last Email, Pam Jeffords. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the HR Huddle. To quickly recap what went down, last year, while in the bubble, covering the NBA playoffs for their employer, ESPN, Rachel Nichols was in her hotel room on what she believed was a private phone call. Nichols is heard complaining her spot as host of the 2020 NBA Finals coverage, was given to fellow reporter Maria Taylor as a diversity play. Nichols didn't know the camera was on, recording the exchange, and sending it back to ESPN servers. Production staff overheard it, saved it to their phones, and did what many people would do. They passed it around to others, including to Maria Taylor herself. As I think Pam said succinctly, it's quite the shitstorm. CJ, I want to start with you. We'd love to get your perspective on the producer who did get the punishment. Should she have been disciplined for her role in this? Was she an ally? Was she a whistleblower? In our other podcast, we asked the question of should Rachel be judged for her intent or her impact? Same question about this producer, you know, the intent versus impact. Look, I think it's both intent and impact. And you have to measure and weigh them both. You can have all the best intentions in the world and the impact can be devastating and vice versa. Your intent could be completely misguided, malicious even, and it could have very little impact. I think you have to weigh them both. And I think in this case, the opportunity for ESPN as a major brand, a large corporation, had an opportunity to really put some meat behind their assertion that diversity and inclusion Uh, is something they value. And it's the reason why I think there should be a decoupling of diversity and inclusion as a function and human resources. They serve two different purposes in an organization. You can see it, uh, HR in charge of this particular situation, it unfolds a certain way. A DNI lead in this particular situation, it would have unfolded a completely different way. Not to say one is better than the other, The relationship between the two is increasingly critical in organizations in order to end up at a, a, uh, you know, desirable outcome. For sure. You know, one thing that we've talked a bit about is this issue of transparency. 
this was a situation that was unknown to many in the public for a year after it went down. You know, as surprising as that was, that did happen. Once it came out, there were certainly a different set of actions that seemed to have taken place than the ones that had before. If you were at ESPN when this was first leaked and everyone knew about it, how would you, from your DNI perspective, have advised HR to handle it? Because what we know is when these things happen, HR is the one tasked to figure it out. What advice would you, Pam and CJ, have for ESPN about how HR could have handled this one differently? You have to take into account what is the intent of policies, right? And when you're violating policies, and in this particular case, what the producer did, I do believe it was taking action, exposing barriers, exposing issues they felt needed to be addressed and perhaps weren't being addressed. I do think we rely too much on cut and dry policies to say, this is what has to happen. And in case it happens again, we need to take action on this person. We have to not keep relying on that because yes, I understand you can get sued if you do something different for one person than another, but let's be clear, you can be sued for a lot of things, (laughs) right? And so I often say, you know, especially around transparency, the pushback I always get when, when they say, well, should we be transparent about this? It's like, that's the only way, as CJ mentioned in the earlier podcast on per my last email, transparency is the only way we're going to actually be able to have these conversations and take action and create change. But I also understand the perspective that says the same information in the hands of a plaintiff's attorney is like a gold mine. And we, we put a dollar value to the, the risk of transparency in the courts. We now need to start putting a dollar value on the risk of not being transparent in our organizations. Because if we continue to cover it up, there's going to be more fear, right? It's just like a a spider web. It's nasty. It's there. We don't want to see it as soon as we bring it out in the open. But let's start putting a value on not being transparent. To me, that's then going to help us answer the question, do we have to do this now to this producer in order to protect ourselves for when somebody does something, to your point, CJ, maliciously? And I think we need to reserve those policies for those malicious intents and take the risk that says, if, uh, if I do something different now because the intent was good, the intent was to perhaps be an ally, to perhaps start to address some of these systemic barriers we know people of color are facing right now, that had to, that should have been taken into account. Pam, I, I will tell you, you are spot on. And it seems as if we view sort of risk mitigation uh, through a 1970s lens. When if, if we're really about risk and there was a true understanding of, of, of what risk truly is in today's language, it perhaps would have been a different outcome. Because I think what ESPN actually did was create greater risk for the brand in the effort or in the attempt to mitigate risk through HR policy. That's the gap. That's the vacuum that we see ourselves in right now is evaluating what actually is risk in 2021. We viewed it historically through a very narrow lens, right? These are our policies with no context to them. They weren't contextualized to to the real world necessarily, particularly in today's language and today's reality. Oftentimes, HR is divorced from, uh, and, and as a result, does a disservice to an organization because They evaluate risk in a very old school way, uh, as opposed to saying, wait a minute, what happens, even if you play it out, what happens if we 
uh, if we do X, Y, and Z? And, and where does the risk to the brand really lie? And I don't think there's a full-throated understanding of, uh, of what that is in today's reality. Yeah, I think these are such great points. And hopefully our HR listeners out there are taking good notes on some of this advice about how to be less risk-averse and more focused on what the right outcome is for the situation. I, I want to take it a, a bit of a different direction. I want to take it to employee engagement and those organizations that are looking to create a culture of inclusion, sort of HR's role in that, right? Because we also have those elements of what happened here, right? So you have Rachel Nichols speaking about Maria Taylor in a way that perpetuates this the situation where, you know, white people are supportive of Black people in public, but then behind the scenes, maybe not. So you have the Black employees at ESPN who are certainly taking note of that and saying, well, we, what we say publicly is not what we say privately. And how are we really being good allies? And so when all this came out, it certainly had an impact on morale, engagement, the sense of inclusion. I'd be curious to get your perspective on that. And then also the, the perspective that ESPN didn't really start to take meaningful action until after this became public. Yep. And, and listen, you, we can't extract the humanity out of humans, right? We can't extract that. And we're not talking about robots. I think, again, one of the unfortunate outcomes of all of this is that Rachel Nichols, and I don't know Rachel, but my guess is, you know, she seems like a, a, a fairly you know, a sharp person with who actually cares about her colleagues. She's in sports, probably has a sensitivity to the challenges of women and underrepresented uh, populations. It, she's almost now defined as someone in a disingenuous way, says something or does something publicly, and then in private, as captured on this on this phone call, is a different person. I wouldn't go that far by any stretch. She is a human being. We've talked about you know, the, the challenges that we all face when confronted with our own professionalism and the situations that are unfolding around it that might impact that very human case. And that's why I said early on, and in some ways my heart goes out to and for Rachel, ESPN, the organization, created the, the epic failure here. Because quite frankly, when you talk about, as they've been defined, two star players on your team or just two players on your team, when this type of very human situation unfolds, bring the parties together. Let's just have a conversation. And quite frankly, what, what this exposes to some degree is the inability of our current leadership to actually facilitate, first to understand what the challenges are here, and then to facilitate a productive conversation. It scares the hell out of leaders. I can tell you this from experience to have to talk. Imagine this, a black female star, a white female star, a situation with race undertones unfolds. And here I am in a leadership position. I have to resolve this. Nothing scares a leader more than having to confront that situation. So what do we do? We act like it didn't happen. We want to push it under the rug. Hopefully it will go away. Well, it's not going away. When I talk about transparency, it's that process of being honest with each other. We don't have to make a public pronouncement. It shouldn't even go that far. But we're going to resolve this in-house. And it's leadership that has to set the, not just the agenda, but the environment, the tone, and the culture where the employees expect that, you know what, we don't have to be best friends even. But we have to understand 
it's important, I should say, for us to understand, for Rachel to understand where Maria's coming from, for Maria to understand where Rachel's coming from, and for the company to be clear-eyed, not mushy-mouthed, about its commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. On that note, let's presume that we kind of have somewhat of the facts, right? Which is that a conversation that ESPN did attempt to bring everyone together and Maria Taylor said no. So so let's assume that that's, because again, we're, we're kind of watching it as well. Kim, if that is in fact the case, and Rachel's saying, listen, I want to apologize. I want to own my impact, which was I hurt someone's feelings that I care about. I want to get in a room. ESPN needs to deal with this and talk about it. And let's say Maria Taylor said, no, I'm not interested. From an HR perspective, what do you do there, Kim, with Maria Taylor, who the the impact was definitely to her, but she no longer wants to talk about it? That's a challenging one because one of the things that we don't do well in HR is give extended learning experiences for our leaders on how to have difficult conversations. This goes back to what CJ was saying about the fear that was probably there to say, we don't know how to facilitate this conversation. Maybe they'll work it out on their own, or should we want them to work it out on their own? So what we don't know is, did they specifically ask Maria Taylor to meet with Rachel Nichols or perhaps just encourage it rather than ask for it? My suspicion is it was probably encouraged, but not saying, hey, you've got to do it. Because you're right, once they say you've got to do it, when she doesn't do it, you backed yourself into a corner. And we get back to that sort of that bad HR place of, do we have a policy? What do we do when people don't do what we ask them to do? And you just don't want to get there. My advice would be to avoid backing yourself into that corner and look at some ways to facilitate or mediate a productive conversation, request that the the people involved get together. That's, again, the role that HR can start to play more of a problem solver than a policy policer and a risk mitigator. And how do you do something a little more productive there? And Kim, I would add, in that scenario, assuming that's exactly how it unfolded, where Maria said no. Who was, she, who was she saying no to? Was she saying no to Rachel? Or was she saying no to an employer who she didn't have any confidence was doing this in good spirit or with authenticity or sincerity in mind? Oftentimes, it's the latter. Now it becomes a show. And I don't want to be a, a participant in the show. My guess is Rachel has Maria's number. Maria has Rachel's number. They could and may have communicated at some point over the course of all of this. But when the authority, if you will, comes in and say, okay, now it's time for us to have a conversation. If that's not real or felt to be real, then oftentimes people will bow out. I don't want to be a pawn on the chess game. Right. And I think there's actually some reports out there that said Maria felt like HR wasn't there for her. That's also a failure of HR to figure out a way you've said so well throughout all of this conversation that there's some sympathy and some empathy here for both parties. How could HR have worked to better facilitate the outcome for both individuals? Because now we have Maria Taylor leaving ESPN, while probably not 100% related to this incident, because she was already negotiating her contract when all of this occurred. This certainly could have weighed into her decision. You have Rachel, who's now had her show canceled. And now, you know, what's next for her? Because Arguably, she was one of the biggest faces of NBA coverage that ESPN had. Where does her career go? She's, I think she's got about a year left on her contract. There's still some management to be done here by HR. I'm quite sure that there was some legal concern here as well that, that ESPN was facing because you definitely had 
similarities in some respects to what happened to Aaron Andrews, where you have a an employee being recorded in their hotel room without their consent or knowledge in what they believe is a private space, and that recording is going back to the server. There had been some concern that Rachel Nichols might sue ESPN over this, right? So they're probably treating her with some kid gloves as it relates to that. As best I know to this point, she hasn't done anything like that, but who knows? These things always put HR on a back foot where they're they're trying to figure out how to be all things to all people and then ultimately end up being uh, not of much use in any of these regards. But, you know, I'm curious, CJ, about what advice can we give to those HR professionals out there who are forced to be in this mediator role? Ultimately, you have to bring parties together. You have to lead with the humanity before the process or before the policy. Now, that's a lot easier said than done. And we've unpacked some of that already, right? Where that scares leaders in many cases more than anything. Don't want to have to, because quite frankly, ill-equipped to really dig into or moderate or uh, facilitate these types of conversations. The upside of all of this, Kim and Pam, is we don't check ourselves at the door when we walk into our workplace. This whole situation, like most, are wrought with our historical context. The producer, Maria, as we've talked about this, very little confidence in the systems that have let them down so many times. In fact, it would be superhuman for them to have uh, an unchecked belief in the systems. The opposite is true. In the case of Rachel, here's a situation where my professional career is in the balance and perhaps it has something to do with the energy behind diversity and inclusion, which might in Rachel's mind mean elevating someone or putting someone in a position that would compromise her professional um, progression. Listen, it's not a matter of right or wrong. It's a matter of that's the reality we're dealing with. And how do we unpack this so that we can have a healthy work environment? You're bringing up so many great points around um, how Black employees might feel based on their their shared experiences that they have, right, in corporate America. We even heard from stars like Jalen Rose, who were super public about the fact that they believe ESPN asked a lot from Black employees, and they've asked a lot of them over the past year even, but that he and other Black employees would no longer extend their credibility to the company going forward. That ties in nicely with what you're saying about to take this in context of the historical experience that Black employees have had. You know, you think about, and by the way, a major shout out to Jalen. We, we grew up together. He's a, he's a Detroiter. We're a good buzz. And I'm so proud of, of uh, the trajectory of his post-NBA career. I think he's awesome. But that is exactly right. I mean, you, if sports is so, so informative. There's such opportunities in sports for us to, that's why I love the game, however you define the game, because it is and can be sort of a microcosm or a learning field for life in these challenges as we deal with them, in part because it's as objective an environment as we're going to ever find. If I can shoot the three-pointer, then I'm going to play. It doesn't matter what, what happens, right? Now, that was challenged to some degree in the case of Colin Kaepernick, a, a completely different issue. But when you talk about ESPN and sports figures who come out of that culture of being in a world that's as objective and as fair as we, I think, know, it does challenge athletes when it becomes nuanced in a way that we find in, in our normal corporate everyday lives. 
you're right. When you talk about something like ESPN or movies or TV or sports, it helps people that are in corporate world understand case studies a little bit better because they do feel like they know the player or they can go and watch it on TV and see that they're human. And I feel like using these, this type of media as a way to break down you know, the complexities of what we're dealing with is so much better than like a case study on a, a corporate world where nobody really knows if who the chief people officer is or the chief, chief sales officer. If we started to use John, Jane, Joe, people would go, I don't know who they are. But all of a sudden, when we have the opportunity to use these, these high profile people, um, it's one of the reasons I do like to, to talk about movies and TV and sports, because those of us that are in the corporate world, we, we can start to understand again and see that humanity. But Kim, I want to ask you uh, as an HR person, let's say I was the producer and I was sitting there and, and I don't know the producer, but let's say I'm in feeling like a middle level position. And to CJ's point, my community has not been taken care of in that perspective before. What would you have advised me to do to stay within the policies, but still make sure that this conversation was had? Because let's be clear, in the last month, we have all benefited from this being out in the open so that we can talk about it. What would you have done if you were that producer? With a little bit of context we have of what we think the policy violation was. So put that into perspective, right? Of, of this is what I think it was. I wonder if there was a way that she could have let Maria Taylor know what was going on without re-recording the video and sharing the video, perhaps just given her a call, told her what was going on. Maybe she did that. I don't know. And then decided to send the video as well. Was there a way for her to bring this out in the open in a different way so that she didn't violate policy? It's, it's hard to second guess because as CJ has so eloquently laid out for us, we don't have her same historical perspective and context of why she chose to do what she did. In hindsight, the question would be asked was, she provided such a needed service. Is there a way she could have done it without getting herself into trouble? And that would be more along the lines of having a conversation with her, um, escalating this further within the organization to say, this is what happened. And I think it deserves conversation. Getting people like Jalen Rose, who obviously were willing to be behind her and support her, say, hey, how can you help me get this conversation amplified? If I can't do it as a producer, could you do it as on-air talent? to get this conversation heard. A few things that came to mind, but I'm very, very hesitant to second guess her because I don't know what the factors of how she got into the position she was in. And Kim, assuming the situation as we understand it, uh, given what, you know, the limited information that we know unfolded as such, I would, I would just broadly make the case in this form and beyond that we're probably not having this conversation today, but for power of video in our society. It's the proof, right? When your word isn't good enough, it's the visual proof that makes it difficult to turn away from. You have to deal with it. And I think that's the power of video. You know, it's interesting. Back in the in the 60s, it was a strategic tool of the civil rights movement led by Dr. King to have the abuses on videotape because it was the only way to force action against injustice. Uh, we see with video cam and all the things that I think has absolutely impacted our society society today, it's been video or you know, the audio tape that has moved the needle more than anything else. That could be 100% why she decided to send it along rather than just tell Maria what she heard. So I want to ask one final question as we look to wrap this up. 
you know, CJ, you know, given that you understand those historical and societal contexts that we've talked about earlier, and this is still a fallout that they're dealing with, assuming ESPN's listening here today, what advice would you have for them moving forward? I would say, hey, hire Kim and Pam. <laughs> Bring them in. Let them examine your processes. Let them understand your culture and your people so that they can begin to set the condition ahead of time. We're always in crisis management mode. If you really want to establish credibility with your employee base, do it in, in peacetime, right? Create, invest the time, energy, and resource in peacetime. When there isn't an, a crisis that is forcing your hand, which automatically devalues your credibility. I say that a bit tongue-in-cheek, but I'm, I'm actually serious about that. I think for all companies, if you want to be taken serious, you have to build trust. And trust is built not in reaction to a crisis, but when everyone seems to be going along and getting along, you have to show your commitment to equity, diversity, and inclusion in those times so that you're prepared to deal with the challenges. Not even prepared to deal with the challenges. You can establish a relationship or conversation rooted in trust and not just being reactionary to mitigate what might look like a, a liable situation. So great. Thanks again to our friend and special guest, Charles C.J. Johnson, for joining us on HR, We Have a Problem. If you want to hear more of his brilliant insights, check out the first half of this conversation on Per My Last Email and head over to ball.com to listen to their podcast, I'm All In, coming back soon. Be sure to subscribe to the HR Huddle podcast and tune in weekly to our other shows. Spilling the Tea on HR Tech with Stacey Harris and Per My Last Email, where we dig into what's broken in diversity, equity, and inclusion with Pam Jeffords. Because when the shit goes down, it's time to huddle up.